You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series on Ephesians. Thanks for joining me, Nathan Johnson, in an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Let's dive into the lesson for the day. Welcome to Lesson 19 of the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. We have been discussing the mystery that Paul mentions in chapter 1, verse 9. And for the sake of context, let me read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Paul writes this, In him we have redemption through his blood, and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, which are in heaven and on earth. In the previous two lessons, we examined this mystery both in terms of what it is as well as how this mystery was hidden in plain view all throughout the Old Testament. As a reminder, Paul is declaring that the great mystery of Scripture is Jesus himself, and thus as an extension, the salvific work that he purposed and purchased upon the cross. You could say that the mystery is the gospel itself, that Christ has purchased and brought for salvation for himself a bride or a people who he longs to have intimacy and oneness with. That now we as Christians not only have forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ, but we are also filled with his life via the Holy Spirit. And we get to partake in the relationship and intimacy with God himself. As Paul wrote in Colossians 1.27, To them God would make known what is the glorious riches of this mystery among the nations. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as we discussed in Lesson 17, the essence and focus of this grand mystery is Jesus himself and his redemptive work upon the cross. Now, I want to go back into our passage and examine this idea of the mystery being made known to us. In verse 9, the phrase, making known, is a participle. And the reason this is important to note is because as a participle, it is not the main verb of the sentence, but rather supports or gives clarity or description to the main verb. Now, several scholars argue whether the mystery being made known stands alone or, as the grammar more accurately suggests, is actually tied to the main verb of lavished, which shows up in verse 8. Now, now stick with me. When you look at the grammar of verses 7 through 10, you, you get a flow taking place. In verse 7, there's this idea that in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. And this is all according to the riches of his grace. Now, that grace, we are told, has been lavished like a Niagara waterfall on us in all wisdom and insight. How so? Well, in that, he made known to us the mystery of his will. So many scholars suggest that the phrase making known is directly tied to the verb lavished and is actually a circumstantial participle. (laughs) Don't get scared by that. What that means is that it's a participle that expresses the conditions or circumstances by which the action occurs. So one way you can think of this concept is that the way Jesus has lavished his grace on us 
is that he has revealed to us himself and his redemptive purpose and plan. Now, this phrase, making known, is the Greek word gnorisas, which comes from the root word gnosko. Now, if you spend much time with me at all, you will likely hear the word gnosko, as it is probably my favorite Greek word in the entire Bible. Now, while there are a lot of derivatives in Greek for this word of know or knowledge or known, there are three different primary words for knowledge or knowing something, and they each paint a slightly different picture. Now, let me introduce this idea by describing the difference between Greek and English. Greek, Greek as a language is a very deep language, where English, on the other hand, is a rather shallow language. Uh, for example, in English, we have the word love. Hey, I love ice cream. I love my wife. I love God. I love my truck. And those kind of, that kind of an idea. But you recognize that we don't love our ice cream the same way that we love our spouse, nor the same way we love God is the same way we love our truck. And so we have one word, and we do have the word like, but it's really one word that encompasses this whole concept of love. But in Greek, there are four different Greek words for the word love, and depending on which meaning you mean by that, you'd use a different Greek word. So Greek as a language is a very thick, deep language. In fact, just for fun, what they would do on the street corners is that they would debate philosophy. Well, why? Well, because they had a language that allowed them to do so. So when we're looking at this idea of knowledge or knowing something, there are th primarily three different Greek words that convey this idea of know or knowledge. Now, one of those words has this idea of facts and data and information. So how do I know something? Well, I know it because I read it in a book or, oh, I picked up a newspaper and read the headline. So it's just all facts, it's data, and it's information. Another word has this idea of knowing something, but you know it because of perception or insight or, oh, the light bulb has turned on kind of a knowledge. And so uh, sometimes it's used in, even in the scriptures uh, translated to see. It's like, oh, I see it. And it's not that you see it, it's that you see it. Do you, do you see it? So again, there's this idea of knowledge of facts, data, and information. There's this idea of knowledge in the sense of perception, understanding, or seeing something. And then there's this word, gnosko. And gnosko, it's translated to know or uh, knowledge, but it really has this idea of knowing something, but the, the reason or the, the avenue through which you know it is because of relationship or experience. Perhaps my favorite illustration of this is I was driving down this road and I saw a sign that said speed limit 30 miles an hour. Now, how did I know this speed limit? Well, it's because I saw it on a sign. It was facts, it was data, it was information. Well, one day I was driving down that road and, uh, and I was looking at my rearview mirror and oh my goodness, I was so excited. There was a party going on behind me. Uh, lights were flashing, music was playing. So I thought, hey, I should probably pull over to the side of the road so that I could experience and really take in this party. Well, this man in a party uniform and a party hat came to my window and knocked on my window and said, sir, I would like to invite you unto this party. However, you're going to have to provide some evidence that you belong here. So could I see your license and your registration? I said, well, absolutely. I want to be a part of this party. So I dug around. I got my license and my registration and, and he went back to his car. And uh, do you know what he did? Oh, it was so, it was so kind of him. 
As a way to show that I actually got to participate in the party, he gave me this yellow piece of paper and for $247, woo, I got to show that I participated in the party. Now you come up to me and say, Nathan, what is the speed limit down that road? I'd say 30 miles an hour. And you'd say, how did you know that? Did you, did you see it on a sign? I'd say, well, yeah, I saw the sign, but I really know it. How? Well, I experienced it. See, that's this idea of gnosko. Uh, sometimes this word's even used in the scriptures to talk about the marital intimacy that a husband has with his wife. That Mary did not know Joseph until after Jesus was born. And it's not that she didn't know about Joseph. They were obviously engaged. But it's they were never together. So throughout scripture, that idea of gnosko shows up all over the place on this idea of knowing something, but I know it, and again, it's used in a variety of ways, but Primarily, I know something because of experience or relationship. Uh, I'm personally a big fan of cute old couples. Oh, I love cute old couples. H have you ever noticed cute old couples that hang out together? They, they start to have like a, they start to have their own language. Uh, she can look at him and just go, mm, and he would just go, mm, and, and they just have this whole dialogue. And you're like, whoa, something was just said. Well, what was said? I don't know. But see, they've spent so much time knowing and experiencing life together, they just, they just know what the other person is thinking. Haven't you noticed that cute old couples, they start to act like one another and think like one another and talk like one another and even look like one another? Well, how does that take place? Well, it's relationship. It's intimacy. It's spending so much time with someone that you just start to you start to understand and know them. Not just facts, data, and information kind of stuff. It's not just oh, I perceive that they're in a good mood. It's they just they know it. I love what John chapter seventeen verse three says. Jesus is praying. He says, "This is eternal life, that they might know Gnosko, you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ." whom you have sent. Jesus says, do you know what eternal life is? Eternal life is, whoa, coming into relationship and intimacy with the living God. And if you have that, woo, you're in, you have eternal life. If you don't have that, I'm sorry, you're out. Well, come back to our passage. Jesus has lavished his grace on us and that he has revealed to us himself and his redemptive purpose and his plan. See, this isn't knowing facts and information about Jesus and his redemptive work upon the cross. This is actually experiencing his salvation, his life, and having intimacy and relationship with him. I went to seminary, and it was interesting. When I went to seminary, I saw a lot of people who knew about Jesus, but who actually didn't know Jesus. We would sit in class and they could debate you up and down and philosophy and, and, all, and all these big fancy terms of seminary. But what was interesting is you looked at their life and their life was just, it, it was just lackluster. It wasn't producing the fruit to the spirit. It was just, see, they had information, but they didn't have intimacy. And what is eternal life? Jesus says eternal life is not knowing about me. Eternal life is, whoa, knowing me. So what makes a Christian? It's not knowing about Jesus. It's actually having a relationship with him. Th think about the demons. You realize that the demons have information. 
They know the salvation message. I mean, could, could you imagine you walk up to Satan? Satan, uh, did, did Jesus die upon the cross? Well, yes. Uh, did, did he, was he buried in a tomb? Well, yes. Uh, did he rise again from, on, on the third day? Well, yes. Did he ascend into heaven? Well, yes. Woo, brother, you're a Christian. And that's actually what we've done to the salvation message is we've turned the salvation message into a, a list of, hey, a checklist, hey, true and false test kind of stuff. And if, it's all, if all it is is a true and false test, you realize that demons would be Christians. But you and I know that's not true. Why? Because salvation is not a true and false test. Salvation is relationship and intimacy with the living God. I love the illustration that Corey Tim Boom gives. She says that there's this little mouse and the, the mouse saw this big cookie jar. And with excitement and glee, this little mouse crawls up and you know grabs this wooden spoon, swivels around, climbs up, is looking down on the edge of the cookie jar. And with just excitement and euphoria and just glee, the little mouse jumps into the cookie jar and the cookie just explodes all around the mouse. And the mouse screams, Woo! I am a cookie! No, no. <laughs> little mouse, you are not a cookie. Just because you're in a cookie jar does not make you a cookie. Well, neither does going to church make you a Christian. See, what makes you a Christian? Well, do you have relationship and intimacy with the living God? So what's interesting about our passage is that how do I know the mystery? Well, I know the mystery because, well, he is revealing it to me but not just revealing it to me, but I am beginning to experience, I am getting, I'm, get, I'm beginning to just, wow, I'm being overtaken by this mystery, which is not mere information about a mystery. It's I'm beginning to experience the mystery itself, which is Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross. Now, in the passage, there's also this personal element. See, there's this undercurrent of relationship and personal interaction. See, God isn't announcing the mystery in a memo or through a herald yelling in the streets. He himself is making the mystery known to us. I love what one scholar writes about this personal interaction when he writes, the words he made known to us. So there is not only a salvation historical dimension to the mystery, but also a personal one. The recipients of this disclosure are the Christian community who are thus able to praise God for his great kindness lavished on them. They are not some group of initiates, but those who have received the word of God, for it is the effective preaching and teaching of the gospel that the revelation of the mystery takes place. Isn't that great? God has purposely and personally revealed this mystery to you. He's not hiding it. It's not some little secret. He's not sending it off in a memo hoping that you'll read it. He's grabbing you by the hand and he's personally revealing truth, this mystery to you. So let me ask you, has this mystery of Jesus, his purpose and plan, his salvific work upon the cross, has it become known to you? Not do you know about it or can you repeat it back to someone, but has it become alive in your life? Are you experiencing the incredible mystery in your life? Is it being evidenced in how you live and how you talk and how you think, how you interact with other people and how you deal with circumstances and difficulties and, and problems in life? In other words, has the grand mystery of scripture affected every aspect and area of your life? 
as I've said before, this is all about Jesus. The great mystery that was hidden from ages and generations, which has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, the mystery that is hidden on every page of the Old Testament and revealed on every page of the New, is that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. He is the centrality of the Christian life. He is the North Star that we fix our compass to. He is the supreme focus. For, as Paul writes in Romans eleven thirty six, for from him and through him and to him are all things. And just like a cute old married couple who begins to think and talk and act and even look like each other, may we be that way with Jesus Christ. That my knowledge of him, not, not merely facts and information, but through a relationship and experience, may it only deepen and get richer year by year. See, what would happen if you and I were more in love and intimate with Jesus Christ next month than we are right now? Or what would happen in five years or in 10 years if our understanding and relationship with him only increased and deepened? Oh, may we be drawn into greater depths, insight, and revelation of this tremendous mystery, which is Jesus himself and all that he longs to do and accomplish in and through our lives. And as Paul says, he longs for you to know that reality, that Jesus has lavished his grace upon us and all wisdom and insight. And as such, he has revealed, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, which is himself. Oh, what an incredible reality. Now, in our next lesson, I want to finish looking at verses 9 and 10 and examine the four aspects of this mystery, which Paul mentions. And I encourage you, if you have time, to look at these four aspects, which are according to his good purpose, which are purposed in himself as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, which are in heaven and on earth. And we're going to be looking at those in the next lesson. Well, thanks as always for joining me for today's study. If you would like to see an outline of this study or read a commentary version of this passage, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians 19 for lesson number 19. You can also check out all the previous studies in Ephesians by visiting deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around this grand mystery of Scripture, Jesus Christ. Let's see you then. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus Christ, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you would like to view the video version of this study, you can do so at deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians.